From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening and welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. I am the senior advisor to the president at Family Research Council and extremely honored to be sitting in this evening for Tony and delighted, absolutely delighted to have you both viewers and listeners joining us this evening. All right, after downplaying the incidents of all sorts of airborne objects that have been shot down over North America airspace uh, and putting it off as long as he could, President, Fi President Biden finally made some public remarks on that topic today. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. Okay, that raises all sorts of questions. That was President Biden, of course, speaking from the White House this afternoon. What did we learn from it all? Well, here in just a few moments, our very own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, will be joining me to discuss this, as well as an extremely revealing exchange from yesterday's Senate Armed Services Committee hearing. You don't want to miss that. And speaking of national security, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy took a group of first-term congressmen to the border today. Uh, could this potentially be a delegation that could include the next generation of lawmakers who will actually lead on border security? Well, we'll be discussing that with Congressman Andrew Clyde a little bit later on in the program. And Congress is being called upon to investigate the recent and since retracted FBI memo that catch this. It zeroed in on, quote, radical traditional Catholics. You got that right. The memo had suggested that FBI agents might infiltrate Catholic churches to root out extremists. Unbelievable. Friends, and, and with all of this, they were actually citing the discredited Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, we are going to be discussing that issue with Tyler O'Neill. He's the manage, uh, managing editor of The Daily Signal and also the author of a book entitled Making Hate Pay the Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Spot on with what we'll be talking about with him in just a few moments. And then a breath of fresh spiritual air. The movement of the Holy Spirit that's taking place at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky is continuing. It's amazing to see what God is doing and grateful we all are that he's doing it in a country right now that so desperately needs his guidance. Asbury University's Vice President of Communications, Mark Whitworth, will be joining me in a little while to discuss that, and I'm looking forward to having him on the air. My wife and I both graduated from Asbury, and we were there with Mark Whitworth, so it's going to be an honor to see him again and to discuss what's happening right now on the campus of Asbury University. And then we'll also be discussing the history of revivals with Bill Eliff. He is a pastor and student of the history of revivals. I'm telling you, 
you don't want to miss that. But if in case you do miss any part of today's program, you'll be able to find it at TonyPerkins.com. You can also find the details of this show as well as past shows there at the website. So be sure to check it out later. And don't forget, you can help us right now. We are at Family Research Council are trying to protect uh, corporate censorship of conservative viewpoints. And of course, we all know what's happening right now at Newsmax. So we encourage you to take that word, Newsmax, and text it to 67742. That's Newsmax, N-E-W-S-M-A-X. Text Newsmax to 67742, or you can go to TonyPerkins.com and add your name to a petition that we are putting forth to try to stop the censorship of conservative viewpoint by AT&T and DirecTV. Uh, We at FRC, uh, we are planning to deliver literally thousands and thousands of names on petition, calling on these corporations to stop the censorship of conservative voices and to put Newsmax back on their platform and to protect free speech for all of us. All right, in the face of the growing outcry over his silence on the topic, President Biden finally spoke this afternoon on the suspected Chinese spy balloon, as well as three other unidentified airborne objects that recently have been shot down over the United States and Canada. We don't have any evidence that there has been a sudden increase in the number of objects in the sky. We're now just seeing more of them partially because the steps we've taken to increase our radars, to narrow our radars. And we have to keep adapting our approach to uh, delaying, to dealing with these challenges. All right, like you, I know that raises a lot of questions. Of course, that was the president today from the White House. Well, what can we learn from these remarks, albeit belated remarks, Well, I can think of no one better to discuss this topic with than FRC's Executive Vice President, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. He spent the last four years of his illustrious 36-year military career serving as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. He was also one of the original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. So all of us at FRC make sure to keep him happy. (laughs) General, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Good to be with you, Jody. All right. Uh, You have been on top of this issue. Let's just begin with your initial thoughts on the president's remarks today. Well, I didn't think he told us very much there. And I can understand why the Congress is so frustrated with if that's I mean, they must have had more information than we got today from him. But that said, um, I think it's important for us to uh, understand that there was something that the president was right about, and that is that uh, the radars, that uh, the NORAD radars that are located up in uh, Canada as well as up in uh, Alaska, uh, are set to uh, detect fast-flying and high-altitude objects. You can call those missiles, bombers, fighters, or whatever you choose, but they're not set to actually recognize something that's flying that low and that slow as these items were. So he's right in saying that our radars have not been set up to be able to see these things, and it was it not for 
the people in uh, in Montana who spotted the the first balloon, we probably wouldn't have have known that that was up there. Uh, but I think that what he told us today was that they apparently haven't even found these three that were shot down over the weekend. I mean, I I took away no knowledge or understanding of what they've done in terms of exploitation of these things. So I'm asking the question, how do you know these were not associated with the Chinese? If you haven't found them, how do you know they're not associated with the Chinese or their surveillance program or that they're either uh, from some organization that is doing weather surveys or something else? How do you know that? And I, to my yeah. satisfaction, there was no answer to that. Yeah, I mean, that's the question that many of us are asking. What what were these things and what was the purpose? Who was behind them? And it is stunning, as you brought up, that we still don't either either we're not being told the answers or the administration does not know the answers. Uh, they conceded by saying that they may have even been commercial, which begs the question. So did we shoot down some commercial balloons or whatever they were while allowing a Chinese spy balloon to traverse the entire country without shooting it down. Uh, if that's the case, it poses even more questions, doesn't it? It does. It does for me, at least. The, the one thing that uh, he did he did say, I guess, was he, he laid out four things that uh, he was going to uh, do immediately in terms of codifying the procedures that uh, we would go through when we have a future incident like this. And and uh, some of the other things that uh, that he was going to do, well, those are all good, but you have to be set up to be able to see them if you're going to deal with them, and that has been our problem in the past. Yeah, absolutely. If you can't see them, then you, you're, we're totally vulnerable. You know, I'm kind of wondering at this point, General, is, is the possibility there that uh, be it China or perhaps another country, another one of our adversaries out there, is initiating these airspace in, uh, in, intrusions, if you will, uh, maybe not for surveillance, but purely to learn what our response is going to be. I think you've nailed it. I think that is, I, I'm sure that that balloon was on a legitimate surveillance mission, legitimate but illegal in our airspace. But that said, I also am pretty sure that this was the Chinese testing our reaction time, testing our uh, our communications and how long it takes us to communicate to the Air Force uh, that would take these things out, how long it takes us to uh, make the decision to do so, and what are our procedures. I think all of that was a reconnaissance by the Chinese to find out more about what we would do, and the next one may be different. Are you concerned that somehow we could potentially be uh, being lured into a pattern of responses so that we shoot down, we shoot down, we shoot down, and then it's kind of anticipated what we're going to do, and somehow an adversary may attempt to go around what our pattern of responses may be? Well, that's why I call it a reconnaissance. You, you, you do your reconnaissance, you figure out what your enemy does, how he operates, and then you figure out a workaround for all of those things that you would find problematic. But uh, yeah, I, I think that there's a very good possibility that this is what's happening right now. And let me just say this. Uh, I think that 
the Chinese uh, are, I think the Chinese are going to do this again. Let me just say that. I don't think we're on the edge of nuclear war, but they're going to do this again. They're going to continue doing this, and they're going to continue doing it because they've told us that they would when they wrote the treatise by two colonels, two uh, PLA colonels that wrote a treatise in 1998 called Unrestricted Warfare. All this audience that's on today should look it up online, Unrestricted Warfare. And they told us then, these two colonels, PLA colonels, told us exactly how they would take over America. And you see it unfolding right now. Unbelievable. General, we've only got about 30, a little over 30 seconds, but yesterday there was a, a, an interesting exchange in the Senate Armed Services Committee uh, uh, and dealing with uh, the, the military's woke policies that are taking place. Uh, give me, give me let, well, let me just play this clip real quickly. I want your quick response. I'm afraid that the more that we have partisan and political fights, the more adversaries think that we're weak. I've made that point many times in public before. They watch all of this, and frankly, they think we've lost it. So the more I'm afraid that we make statements like this, the more that we start attacking our fellow Americans for whatever perspective we think they come from, the more that Russia and China think that we're working ourselves out of history. General, we got just 10 seconds. Your thoughts about the woke policy in the military? It's destroying our readiness, and if we don't change our focus, we'll never be ready to meet China on the battlefield. General Jerry Boykin, thank you so much for your input. As always, we appreciate it, and thank each of you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Stand by much more straight ahead. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Glad to have you on board with us this evening. I'm Jody Heiss. Honored to be sitting in this evening for Tony. All right. The Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, led a delegation of first-term lawmakers to, to the southern border today. And yet ahead of that visit, the White House literally slammed Republicans for spending what they called partisan publicity stunts on the southern border. But Republicans are arguing that these are not stunts at all. You know, our nation is being invaded. Laws are being ignored and young people are dying. Uh, we are at war, and we don't even know it. Um, and it, and it's, you know, it continue, And this is not a stunt. <laughs> we are at war and don't even know it, or at least we act as though we don't know it. That was Representative Rick Allen of Georgia during yesterday's field hearing in Texas on President Biden's border crisis. Friends, January literally marked the 23rd consecutive month with more than 150,000 illegal crossings on our southern border. We're having seizures of illegal drugs, including fentanyl, as you're all aware of. It's all happening at the border. Uh, And this is just the tip of the iceberg of an enormous crisis. And joining me now to discuss this is my good friend, U.S. Representative Andrew Clyde. He serves on the all-important House Appropriations Committee, and he represents Georgia's 9th Congressional District. Congressman Clyde, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. Hey, Jody, it's great to be with you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll tell you that for President Biden to say that this is nothing other than a photo op just goes to show you that uh, that he has no intention whatsoever of fixing the crisis that he created at the border. Uh, and, you know, for Kevin McCarthy, our Speaker of the House, to go down there, I think is very, very important because the border crisis needs to be highlighted to every American citizen so they truly understand uh, what Rick Allen just said. Uh, there is an invasion coming from the South through our southern border. And this invasion is doing great damage to the American people and to our country. And so it has to be stopped. Fentanyl in and of itself is killing tens of thousands of people, over 100,000 of our citizens, just in 2021 alone. And then you have all of these suspected terrorists that are coming across, the 15 that we caught just last month, and then the over 100 now that have been caught 
since Biden on Biden's watch? I mean, this is inexcusable that our president is not concerned with the safety of the American citizens uh, and is more concerned about opening our borders and flooding our country with illegal aliens. It's inexcusable, and I commend our Speaker McCarthy for bringing, for highlighting this by having a hearing at the southern border. Well, absolutely, and and quite frankly, I find it just appalling, offensive, that he would blame Republicans of a photo op. If anyone knows about a photo op at the southern border, it's the president who, after two years of refusing to even go to the southern border, when he finally did go, he made the city clean up the mess before he got there so that he could have a nice-looking photo op that appeared as though the border was under control. Uh, but during the, the uh, hearing that I referenced at the beginning of the segment, uh, Representative Allen uh, had this exchange with Brandon Judge, who is the president of the National Patrol Council. I want to play this and get your response. I mean, if we give you full authority... Uh, if I were president of the United States and I said, secure that border, what would you do? Uh, I've lived through it already. I know what's necessary. We need okay. policy. You, need, you know exactly what needs to be done. We, we need policy. Okay. Absolutely. Is anybody in the White House listening to you? No, absolutely not. Okay. Is anyone in the White House listening to you? No, absolutely not. What are Republicans working on to solve this border crisis? Well, I'll tell you that he's absolutely right. No one in the White House is listening to us. And uh, they should be listening to the American people. Uh, he has no intention of, of, of solving this crisis. I mean, we should be uh, voting on the Texas border plan. I mean, we should be finishing the wall on the southern border. You know, walls work. And contrary to what they want people to believe, walls really do work. And so we need to finish that wall. We need to finish the, the uh, construction of the roads that service the wall and all of the electronic uh, measures that uh, are put in place to identify people that try and evade the wall. Uh, and then we need to return people who are coming here under asylum claims, return them to Mexico and leave them in Mexico until their asylum claims are adjudicated. And once that happens, if they're found to be valid, and we know that at least 90% of them are not valid, then uh, at that point, then uh, we can deal with them, and 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 they stay in Mexico. Those whose claims are not uh, are not uh, properly validated. So that's what needs to happen. And I think you would see a tremendous drop in the amount of fentanyl that comes across the border. You would see, uh, you know, the people that that stop coming because the border would no longer be open. And that's the that's what needs to happen. But the Biden administration has no intention of doing that. And you can see that by the numbers of illegal aliens that continue to flood across our borders. This January, this past January, being the worst January in over 20 years, over 150,000 illegal aliens crossing our southern border, not including the gotaways. Unbelievable. Listen, we've got less than two minutes and I've got a hard break coming up and I've got two other topics I want to hit on you real quickly. So let's go fast. You have a, a bill uh, that is uh, going to uh, impact crime in our nation's capital. Let me just put it that way. And uh, real quickly, in about 30 seconds, tell us about that bill. It is. It's the uh, takedown of the of Washington, D.C.'s Council's Revised uh, Criminal Control uh, Act, and it basically eliminates mandatory sentencing uh, for about every crime in D.C. except for uh, first-degree murder. And we in the House uh, passed a joint resolution of disapproval to uh, take that bill down. And uh, I'm, we got 31 Democrats to come with us and join us. So we had 250 that voted for it. 
and it now goes to the Senate, and the Senate will have a, it's a privileged resolution, so the Senate does not have to overcome the filibuster. So I'm looking forward to the Senate passing it and us taking down this RCCA Act from the City Council. Awesome. Listen, I love your passion. Again, we've got literally 30 seconds. You just recently got back from Codell around Europe. What did you find, a military Codell, uh, what is the morale of our military around the world as you found it? Well, I'll tell you what, I got to meet with the 101st uh, Airborne Division, and I was uh, just absolutely um, pleased with uh, with their morale, um, was there to, to encourage them, and also uh, just to look at the equipment that they are sending into Ukraine. Ten and seconds. That it is a, that it's 100% accountable, or accounted for, rather. So um, uh, it was a great trip. It was great to be with our troops. Congressman Clyde, thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. We love you. Stay tuned, folks. Much more coming straight ahead. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. We appreciate and are honored to have you with us. Well, you may remember that last week on one of the programs, Tony mentioned that the FBI had literally published and then later retracted a memo urging FBI agents to investigate alleged ties to radical traditional Catholics and what ties they might have to racially motivated violent extremists. Folks, this is unbelievable. If you are a Catholic, in other words, the FBI may be coming to your church to look for you. Now, the source behind all of this was the Southern Poverty Law Center, or the Southern Impoverished Law Center, as they're known here at FRC. 
Uh, but since the president of our country attends a Roman Catholic church and identifies as a Catholic despite his support for abortion and same-sex marriage, you would think that the White House would comment on his church being identified as a potential hate group of him, himself, the president, potentially having ties to a hate group. You would think the White House would say something about this, but so far they have declined all requests to speak on this issue or address it at all or to disavow uh, the SPLC. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Tyler O'Neill. He's the managing editor of The Daily Signal and also author of the book, Making Hate Pay the Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, so, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks, Jim. Well, listen, before we get started, I, I'm just uh, amazed at your book. It could not be more spot on. Uh, let, let's talk about that. How did the FBI even utilize the Southern Property Law Center as a source? Yeah, that is the million-dollar question. And the real the real issue we're seeing here is that the, the FBI decided that the Southern Poverty Law Center was a reliable source. This went in contradiction to many years of the FBI's uh, training, where they said specifically that the Southern Poverty Law Center is not considered a reliable source. There were, you know, I, I spoke with sources at former, you know, FBI whistleblowers who said that they had multiple trainings where they explicitly said the SPLC is not to be trusted. And one of the many reasons why was the terrorist attack that was perpetrated against the Family Research Council there in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. Well, well let's, let's go straight to the memo itself. Uh, what did it say uh, and when was it retracted? Yeah, so the memo in encouraged FBI agents to develop sources even in places of houses, places of worship, as they said, suggesting that agents might actually infiltrate Catholic churches to root out extremists. But of course, it didn't just suggest that. It also gave a list of SPLC hate groups where these agents should begin their investigations. And of course, that list is particularly noteworthy. I mean, these are these are what they call radical traditionalist Catholic hate groups, but they have a large array of mainstream conservative and Christian organizations that they brand hate groups, including the Family Research Council. They call them anti-LGBT hate groups. And specifically, when it comes to the Catholic Church, put the Ruth Institute on the list. And one of the reasons why they called the Ruth Institute a hate group is because the organization's founder, Jennifer Roback Morse, who happens to be a Roman Catholic, uh, decided that she would quote the catechism of the Catholic Church in saying that homosexual activity is intrinsically disordered. This isn't just a statement she came up with out of the blue. This is a direct quote from the Roman Catholic Church. And yet the SPLC repeatedly on its website page calling the Ruth Institute a hate group quotes this quote as if it were the damning evidence that 
Jennifer Roback Morse's institution is a hate group, which really raises the question, and I've asked the SPLC many times about this, you know, do you consider the Catholic Church as a whole to be a hate group? Because this document, the Catechism, is the document that bound, that binds one billion Catholics across the world. Not every Catholic always agrees with it, but it's specifically what the Catholic Church believes. Unbelievable. Uh, Tyler, we've only got a couple of minutes here. Uh, do, do you think anyone uh, at the FBI ever even considered the fact that the president belongs to the group that they are targeting? Yeah, no, I don't think they did, mainly because, again, the FBI decided to cite this on radical traditionalist Catholic groups, which are separate from the overall Catholic Church. But they don't seem to realize that by the logic of the Southern Poverty Law Center, this does apply to the entire Catholic Church and by extension to its members, of whom Joe Biden is one. And it's particularly shocking to me that Biden seems not to care about this story. He hasn't commented on it publicly, and he hasn't re responded to repeated requests for comment, which really should raise alarm bells because right. the SPAC has has these organizations on its list because they believe Catholic doctrine on LGBT issues. And those issues are the specific place where Biden extremely separates himself from what his church actually holds. And, you know, he's been advocating consistently for years the furthest reaches of LGBT activism. And yet Tyler, he's not Tyler, we're going to have to leave there. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us and keeping us abreast on this important issue. Appreciate you coming on Washington Watch. All right, friends, coming up, we're going to be talking about what is continuing to take place on the campus of Asbury University. We'll be joined by Asbury's Vice President of Communications, Mark Whitworth. Stay tuned for more Washington Watch. We'll be back after the break. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. 
Text S-T-A-N-D to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your host, sitting in this evening for Tony Perkins. Just a reminder for those of you who have been following the situation with Jacob Kersey, he's the police officer who was forced to resign due to sharing his biblical view of marriage on his personal social media page. Listen, you can be involved in helping us out uh, in this situation. Uh, you can ask Mayor Norton and the Port Wentworth City Council to issue a public apology to Jacob. You can do so by a couple of different options I'm going to give you here. You can go to frcaction.org slash Jacob. That's frcaction.org slash Jacob. Or you can simply text the name Jacob to 67742. And uh, you can be involved in helping in that incredibly important religious liberty situation. All right, as uh, Tony has discussed throughout the week, what God is doing on the campus of Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, should absolutely encourage all of us literally to see thousands of Christians worship and pray uh, to repent this is exactly what our country needs right now. And now the university uh, there in Wilmore, Kentucky, literally is seeing people come as far away as Sing uh, Singapore. Uh, people from all over the country, literally across the world, are descending upon the small campus there in Wilmore, Kentucky, to see what the Lord is doing. And joining me now to discuss this is Mark Whitworth. He's the Vice President of Communications for Asbury University. And he and I actually, and my wife, we were all at Asbury together. Mark, welcome to Washington Watch. It's an honor to see you again, my friend. Great to see you, Jody. Thank you. Well, listen, I uh, can't tell you the encouragement, the thrill that it is to watch yet again what's happening on the campus of Asbury. Uh, this is a student-driven, uh, spirit-driven phenomenon, uh, what's happening uh, at, at Asbury, and uh, here's a clip that I just want our folks to be able to see and hear. What's been happening here since Wednesday is there's a, there's a young army of believers who are rising to claim Christianity 
the faith as their own, as a young generation and as a free generation. And that's why people can't get enough. Amazing. That was the student body president. So, Mark, tell us uh, what's going on from your perspective as one of the administrators of the university. Well, Jody, it's been an amazing uh, eight days. You know, I, I first stepped into Hughes Auditorium. I actually didn't go to chapel that day. I had a meeting. And my first time into Hughes Auditorium to, to join our students in worship was around probably 3 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, February 8th. When I walked in, there were probably between 200 and 300 students there. Uh, it was a very relaxed, kind of a calm atmosphere, some quiet you know, worship going on. There were groups huddled together praying. But I must admit, when I walked in that, you know, in the middle of the afternoon, that was an unusual sight. And I immediately sensed that something different was happening among our student body. And I walked over to uh, to a, a student that I knew uh, and, and just said, hey, tell me what's going on. And he said, I've never seen anything like it. And uh, I, I've obviously, you know, been associated with Asbury as an alum, as a former trustee, and now part of the administration. And I certainly, along with that student, I agreed. I had never seen anything like that. And so that's what it looked like on day one, you know, four or five hours into it. And now, you know, for the last five or six days, most afternoons and every evening, Hughes Auditorium, which seats 1,500 people, has been packed. Well, I uh, received word, as you you probably know, my in-laws still live there in Wilmore and had a text from them today, even that even in the midst of pouring rain and horrible uh, weather conditions, people are patiently standing outside, even many of them just wanting to get a taste of what's happening on the inside. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, I, I love, Mark, I love the way the university is handling this and not trying to draw attention to self, but just letting the Lord do his work and let him advertise it, if you will, the way he wants to and let him draw people here. Uh, but in the midst of that, no question, it had to take an enormous amount of ability to be nimble and adapt to the direction of the Holy Spirit as university administrators. You're right, Jody. I've told people many times that we really have to hold that gently. Uh, you know, we're administrators by trade. We're used to running a university. And so it's easy to kick into that management mode. And we we realize very soon in the process that that we have to be keenly aware of the Lord's leading here and not uh, and not do anything to diminish that. And so one of the key decisions that we had to make early on in the process was, do we live stream? We're capable of live streaming events from our from Hughes Auditorium. And we typically live stream chapel uh, each Monday, Wednesday and Friday. But we made the decision uh, not to live stream except for the chapel services that have taken place in this eight-day window. And the, the thought behind that is really consistent with one of the themes that, that has been talked about and that has really emerged as a part of this outpouring from God, and that is radical humility, radical humility before our Father. 
And so after a lot of prayer and some discussion, we decided that it would be in the best interest of what was taking place to, as, to eliminate as many distractions as possible. And we felt like the temptation for everybody to, to hop on a live stream and watch uh, would be just too much of a distraction. And quite frankly, as well, uh, the idea of God doing some deep heart work in the lives of so many people uh, was not something that we, that we really felt comfortable in live streaming from a university standpoint. Wow. Well, I, I commend you and all the administrators for being sensitive to the spirit in all of this. And uh, how are things going today? We've only got about a minute or so left, and I'm going to have to run, Mark. But how are things going today? And what would you say to individuals, even like myself, who would love to be there in person but can't get there? Uh, what, what would you say? You know, I would say, number one, as God puts it on your heart, just pray for uh, the people that, that are here. What we've sensed is a deep hunger and a deep, deep appetite, strong appetite for just an authentic, deep uh, encounter with God. We're so, so thankful for the impact it's had on our students and really on Gen Z in, uh, as a whole. Uh, they were the forerunners in this. And we just sense that God is calling them out of their story and into his larger story. Wow. Mark Whitworth, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch this evening. And thanks for all you're doing and that the university is doing to uh, let God be God and uh, just allow him to move. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. Good to see you. Likewise, my friend. All right, and now Bill Eliff is going to join me. He's a founding and national engaged pastor of the Summit Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, knows so much about revival. He's a student of revival, the history of revivals. I like that that's going on in Asbury, but some that have even gone far, far broader than what we currently are seeing at Asbury, and hopefully what we're watching there will indeed spread uh, and the fires, the embers of revival will catch on further and further. So I'm pleased so much now to have Bill Eliff joining me. Bill, thank you so much for coming on Washington Watch. It's an honor to have you. Well, it's absolutely my joy and my joy to be on talking about this subject. Well, and it's my honor as well to have your nephew, by the way, as my pastor. He's uh, We love Josh tremendously and uh, uh, we're very much honored. Uh, to be a part of, of that church. But listen, it's great to have you back on Washington Watch. So many people perhaps watching or listening right now are perhaps asking, what do we mean by revival? A lot of people grew up going to revival meetings, but this is not a revival meeting. We're talking about a spiritual awakening. Let's begin, first of all, just defining what are we talking about in the context of revival? Well, my favorite definition of revival is that it's an extraordinary movement of the Spirit of God that produces extraordinary results. So God is moving all the time. He's working all the time. Uh, we couldn't get out of bed without God's activity. Uh, but in revival, there are these moments in history, and there are reasons for this, when God chooses to open up the heavens and just uh, the best word is to manifest himself. That word means to make 
himself so known, so clear uh, that it's it's unmistakable. It's like the eighteen uh, the eighteen fifty seven revival when the headline of the Denver Post said, "Whole town stops for prayer every day." Even lost people were understanding that God had come in an extraordinary way, and that produces extraordinary results. Spiritual awakening is another term, I think, that refers, we often use them interchangeably, but refers to God's activity when he awakens lost people and brings them in in rapid number to faith in Christ. And as Jonathan Edwards said in the first great awakening, when when there's awakening, the work of God is accelerated. So uh, this is a this is a an extraordinary thing that God does, and it can't be done any other way, any other way. And what is interesting is America has been blessed with great awakenings in the past. Uh, real quickly, share some of those with us. Well, there have been five that most historians would say. The first Great Awakening in 1735 and following, associated with Jonathan Edwards, in which 15% of the population of America came to faith in Christ. Uh, and then the 15%, second percent that's stunning. That is a stunning number. Well, 15%. I, often, I often think, let's take Dallas-Fort Worth. that has 8 million people. If that happened in that measure, they would see 1.2 million people come to faith in the next two years. Now, you wow. do the math on that per month, that's tens of thousands. In the 1857 revival in New York City alone, 10,000 people a week were coming to faith in Christ. Now, that's, wow. that's documented. 10,000 this week, 10,000 next week, and it went on for two years. So nobody could do that. No plan, no program could accomplish that. It's an invasion of God. So we had the first Great Awakening. When that waned in 1800, people began to cry out to again. The second Great Awakening, which was one of the most extensive awakenings, uh, 1857, the Great Prayer Movement, in which one million people came to faith in Christ out of a population of 30 million, and then the 1904 revival, Welsh revival, literally slept, swept around the world and dramatically touched America. And then the Jesus movement of 1970, which is associated with the Asbury revival that, that happened very similar to what's happening. So every 30 to 60 years, God has visited our nation with a great awakening. And this is the normal way of God. This is part of the way that he operates uh, among men. And it was actually during that 1970 movement that you referred to that I myself came to faith in Christ and uh, remember so vividly those incredible days in the work of the Lord across this country. You and your wife made uh, a long drive to see for yourself what is happening at Asbury. Uh, tell us what you experienced there. Well, uh, we got there on the, I guess, the third day on late, late Friday night, and Saturday we walked into the auditorium, and you know, if if you were expecting some, you know, fantastical, blow you away, uh, bright lights and something, you would be uh, surprised because what what you experience is this quiet, 
beautiful, uh, just holy reverence for God, uh, simple singing and music. It's all student-led. The faculty and the and the campus pastor there at Asbury have done such a phenomenal job. And I've I've been a part of a movement like this in the past. And what they've done, they're giving leadership, but it's listening to the Lord and just simply doing what he prompts them to do. So they might walk to the microphone and say, we just sense we need to open up the mics for testimonies. And for the next hour, there's people just lined up telling these extraordinary things that God has done because the altar, we were there for two and a half days, the altar is was always full. I mean, varying degrees, but there were always people at the altar. Well, you know, let me let me cut you off if I can. We've only got about thirty seconds. Uh, It's just phenomenal what you're talking about. Not everyone can travel to Kentucky right now, but how should we pray for revival in our own lives? Again, uh, fifteen twenty seconds. Well, I think it's coming everywhere, and Christ is right there in your city. Right, the same God can do the same things. It's spreading now all across America. I think we need to get ready because we could be right in the early days of a highly significant invasion by God in our nation. Bill Elif, thank you so much for your words of encouragement and inspiration, and for coming on Washington Watch. Deeply appreciate it. My joy. Well, friends, thank you. I hope you have been encouraged as well. Now is the time for us to pray like we've never prayed before. Have a great evening. We'll see you next time here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.